Through their investment in the Minnesota Corn Checkoff, corn growers are fueling research and initiatives that build a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. The Minnesota Corn Podcast introduces you to the individuals who are shaping future ag practices, identifying new markets, and promoting agriculture with the non-farming public. Our guest for this episode is Brian Healy, Director of Global Ethanol Market Development for the U.S. Grains Council. Brian, let's start with sort of a a high-level view of how ethanol did during the 2021 marketing year. We had our fifth highest export year. Overall, our total was 1.31 billion gallons. This was a year where we saw the full impact of the pandemic weigh on exports. So uh, overall, still able to have some pretty positive numbers in terms of exports. A lot of the losses that we saw in early 2020 rebounded as some of those stay-at-home orders eased. We saw that demand change here in the U.S. and and certainly saw that pick up uh, in terms of fuel demand around the world. Around the world, which markets are consuming or utilizing the most U.S. ethanol? So our neighbor to the north, Canada, was our largest market this year. That's a bit of a change in the past. Brazil has been our largest export market, but the tariffs on U.S. ethanol going into that market at 20% have weighed on our access down there. Number two was India. It's an industrial use market, so not for fuel use at this time, but certainly optimistic that their policy there will hold for for E20 and create some new demand opportunities there. And then rounding out the top five were South Korea, China, and then the EU plus the United Kingdom. In the United States, we talk a lot about the summer driving season and the time where the demand is highest. I assume that in other parts of the world, there are peak travel or driving seasons, and I'm sure that impacts ethanol exports. It does, and it's, it's the very same thing. That summer season is really important. Same timeline in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. It's during our winter, and so really see a seasonality in demand. There was also this impact that we saw, especially on industrial imports, due to the changes in that initial surge in hand sanitizer use that we saw around the world that eased after, I would say, people got more used to the pandemic as a factor of their daily lives. Brian, what attracts foreign markets to U.S. ethanol? Is it is it the price? Is it the environmental benefit? What is it? It's a policy environment. And so very similar to the renewable fuel standard that we have here in the U.S., other countries have their own version of that, where you're creating a market either through a volumetric requirement or a percentage blend requirement that creates an opportunity. Of course, there's benefits that are associated with those policies. In part, it's support for their domestic agricultural producers. It's also trying to capture some of those societal benefits like improved air quality, but also GHG reductions. And and so those culminated together create that policy environment that creates an opportunity not only for local producers, but also for the U.S. to supply them if there's a demand or a supply deficit in that market. In the U.S., it seems like the policy around biofuels is fairly volatile, sort of a tug of war between the the ethanol groups and, and big oil, if you will. Do we see that sort of battle going on in other countries too? Yes. Unfortunately, the U.S. isn't the exception there. 
But there are still some positive aspects. You know, the, the UK just rolled out their E10 policy up from a 5% blend requirement that they've had for the past decade. India has announced its intent to more than double its blending requirement in 2025 to a 20% requirement. But we've also seen some backtracking. Colombia is an example. It's had a 10% blend rate policy that has eased over the last six months then won't be fully implemented back at 10% until the end of January 2022. So those same challenges exist in foreign markets. Um, and it's really important that we stay aligned with our lo- local advocates, demonstrating the importance of that uh, consistent implementation. So it's early in the 2022 marketing year, but how has the year gone to this point, Brian? Again, we started to see some challenges in terms of fuel demand. Um, Europe is just going through what's been termed the fourth wave of COVID. And so that certainly will weigh on fuel demand um, going into the winter there. I would say, too, with this new variant, that is expected to probably weigh on gasoline demand, depending on the stringency of stay-at-home orders going forward. But overall, not expecting to see the drop-off that we saw early in 2020. I'm fairly optimistic that we'll be above where we were this year in terms of exports going forward around the world. As you look into the second, third, fourth quarters of the marketing year, are you optimistic about demand? And, and I think about the, the price of corn, and certainly that's going to impact the bottom line of ethanol plants. So what is the longer term outlook? The real long-term outlook is making sure that the policies that we have in place are enforced. Just as that's true as here in the U.S., it's true for overseas markets. Making sure that countries understand the importance of that consistent implementation. We have seen some countries that blend ethanol only from an economic standpoint, primarily in the Persian Gulf, where exports have subsided over the last two years. That really reflects on the need for this policy framework and environment that allows a role for trade so that the U.S. can facilitate those countries in meeting their policy if they don't have the domestic supply to do so. With your focus on building demand for U.S. ethanol around the world, how important is it to have partners like the Minnesota corn growers? And I'm not sure what that partnership entails, maybe you could shed some light on that, but just having commodity groups like Minnesota Corn that are are at the table, that are available, that are invested, how important is that? I would say our work would be extremely difficult if we didn't have the support of groups like Minnesota Corn and the other states and our agribusiness members and the national groups that we work with. It's critical that we maintain and expand these partnerships that we have. In part, we bring trade teams to the U.S. to better understand what U.S. production or how the U.S. produces corn and ethanol so that countries have that information and can take back to their market. Trade delegations from markets like Minnesota, which is going to the U.K., I believe, either Finland or Sweden in the coming months, we provide information on what's happening, what we see is happening in those markets so that they can be most effective there. It's an ongoing feedback loop, as well as financial and and personnel support that we have with states like Minnesota. It's really critical, as well as the relationships that we have with staff members and local producers. We really couldn't do it without them. We've talked exclusively about ethanol, but there are co-products of ethanol, too, that are exported out of the U.S., like dry distillers, grains, anything there that you want to make sure we talk about? 
I would just advocate, really, since the RFS ramped up in the mid-2000s, the council's made it a priority to include DDGS in its global market development effort. And so I'm sitting here in Istanbul today with our Middle East Africa region, and they're talking about their process of feed trials that they go through in order to ensure higher rates of inclusion of other U.S. ag products, including DDGs that you mentioned, but also corn and sorghum and barley. So it really is a long-term component of our everyday work here at the council. Brian, anything else that you want to make sure we talk about today? I think an important point, especially around U.S. conversations and international conversations, is the emphasis that emphasizing that corn ethanol is an immediate climate change solution. And that cannot be reiterated enough and shared with this administration, as well as leaders around the world, that we have a product available today, compliant with vehicles that are on the road today, that can make an immediate difference in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. It's got to be something that uh, we work towards greater recognition of as an industry. It's just the way that the world is moving in terms of talking about the environmental impact and and trying to reduce climate change. Um, COP26 was wrapped up a month ago and the consensus is that there's no shortage of solutions that need to be implemented to reduce overall emissions. And we've got a product available today. We've got to make sure that people understand that. Where would you direct our listeners that want to learn more about the U.S. Grains Council? Our website, we have a lot of resources about ethanol and then also the feed grain work that we do around the world. We've got a weekly newsletter that we put out every Thursday that goes through some of the work that we're doing around the world. We're also on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. So those are other great resources to get updates out of our D.C. office or get connected to a market around the world that folks are interested in. We've got 10 international offices, and we're here to support the U.S. industry. To learn more, visit mncorn.org.